And how amazing is it that we get to be a part of a church that where we get to see God at work in people's lives. And that's why we exist. That's why we are here. Because we want to see the power of the gospel take root in our city, in our area. That we as a church, we want to saturate Rochester with the life-changing message of Jesus' cross and his resurrection. And we want it to take place in every area, every suburb, every school, every neighborhood to experience Jesus the way we have experienced him. And so welcome to Northridge Church. Welcome home. We're grateful that you're here. If you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to be. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bible, jump there in your device. You can also take notes this morning in the Northridge Church app. And as you make your way to Acts 9, let me just kind of catch everybody up to where we've been. You see, about seven weeks ago, we started a series called Acts of the Church. And for seven weeks, we've just been looking at the very first church, how it got started, how the Holy Spirit came and established it and worked through it. And then we've been watching this up and down journey of God's church, much relatable to our church today. We've seen the problems that the early church faced. And last week we talked about the opposition that the church runs up against. And we left last week off with this inspiring, challenging story of a man named Stephen, a man who in the face of opposition gave up his life for the name of Jesus. And I told you last week that that Stephen's story was the beginning of of a journey. His testimony, his example was the beginning of a journey in, in a man's heart that would change the church forever. That man's name was Saul. And today we get to read and experience Saul's baptism story. We find it in Acts chapter nine. Look what it says. It says, meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here we are introduced to Saul. Now, if you go back to Acts chapter 7, we saw a glimpse of Saul earlier. When Stephen was being stoned, the the religious leaders, the people doing the stoning, they laid their feet, they didn't lay their feet, they laid their coats at the feet of Saul. See, Saul was the very religious leader, the Pharisee, who approved the killing of Stephen. So let me introduce this guy named Saul. He's a Pharisee, a religious leader. So what that meant was he had the Old Testament, he knew it well. In fact, he had the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, memorized. Those aren't short books. He had them memorized. He knew God's law. He lived by it. And you might ask the question, why in the world, if this guy was passionate about God, loved God, would he be chasing down Christians and killing them? Well, Saul is a religious leader. One of his major jobs was to protect God's people from false doctrines. And so he believed that the story of Jesus, the belief in Jesus, was a false doctrine. And so he would do whatever he could to eradicate its belief. He thought it was crazy that anybody would believe in Jesus who, he, who knew he was dead, that he would be alive. Saul was a terrorist to Christians. Any Christ follower living in this culture would hear the news that Saul was going to their city, to their town. They would be terrified. 
because they knew what he did to Christians, tortured them, murdered them, threw them in prison. So here we begin the journey of Jesus changing Saul's life. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. And so as, as Saul is on the way to fulfill his mission, to protect God's people from false doctrine, Jesus interrupts his life. And he begins to have this conversation with Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you coming against me? I love Saul's response. Who the heck is this? Like a flash of, of light and, and he hears a voice. Who, who is this? And these words had to blow Saul's mind. I am Jesus. I'm Jesus. You know, the one that you don't believe is alive? You, you, know, you know, Saul, the one that you're persecuting, you're hurting my people, I am Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't just interrupt Saul's life, he pursues it. He chases Saul down. And, and, and I don't know about you, but it, it causes me to ask this question, like, why? Why? Like, of all the people that Jesus could have chose to fulfill Saul's mission, why would he choose to pick this lunatic, this crazy guy who is killing Jesus's followers? Like, it makes no sense. But don't miss this, despite, despite Saul killing Christians, in the midst of, of Saul threatening Jesus's people, Jesus saw Saul. He noticed his story he didn't neglect him, forget him, throw him out to the, to the dirt. He saw him. And, and I wanna pause here because there's two really powerful points that I think Jesus is trying to teach us in this story. The first one is this, that no one is too far gone for Jesus. No one is, is too far in their sin and in their guilt and their shame for Jesus to resurrect their story. And, and this is encouraging and should be encouraging to us as Christians. Because I would bet there are some of you who are praying that someone in your family, someone that you love dearly, would experience Jesus for who he is. You're praying that they would see the gospel and they would know that Jesus loves them and died for them and re resurrected. And, you, and what do we do in that journey? We pray and we pray and we pray and we pray for years and years. And what can get frustrating and weary is praying so much. And, and when we see the results, nothing changes. Nothing happens, and often what happens is they don't actually come closer to Jesus, they seem to be going farther away from Jesus. And it's frustrating, we go weary, and guess what? We start to believe that maybe they are too far gone. We, we, we tell ourselves there's no way that that person would ever give Jesus a chance. Their, their sin is too tight around their life, or their skepticism is too great. Their doubts are too big. And what Saul's story should do for all of us is remind us of the mighty power of Jesus' gospel, that it can change anyone and everyone because no one is too far gone for Jesus. And let me make this a little more personal for you. You are not too far gone for Jesus. Can I tell you today, there are some of you 
today who you, you read Saul's story, we're gonna look at Saul's story, and at the end of the day, you're gonna come to this conclusion, you're gonna say, that's great for Saul, but there's no way that could be me. You don't get it, like, I, I understand Saul and who he was and how God reached him, but there's no way Jesus even notices me and all of my sin and all of my shame and all my guilt, Jesus has long forgotten about me. But the truth is, is your story can be, can be just like Saul's story. That there is nothing you can do, no choice you can choose, no sin so big that can get you away from God's loving reach and his grace over your life. In fact, you're just one decision away from Jesus rescuing you. And if you don't believe me, listen to Saul. Look what Saul says to all of us. In Timothy, he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So it says, believe this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, I want to pause here. Because sometimes in, in our American Christianity, we teach ourselves theologies that aren't accurate when it comes to the gospel. Because some of us today believe that Jesus came into the world to save people who were worthy of being saved. That's not what Paul says. Some of us believe that, that Jesus came into the world to save people who are good enough for it. That's not what Saul says. He says he came into the world to save sinners. And then he says, whom I'm the worst. He was a murderer. He tortured people who believed in Jesus, threw them in jail, abused them. He says, I'm the worst, and here's why. He says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for all of us who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You see, Paul says, Saul says, listen, my, my story is an example of how patient Jesus is with us. That we might be running from him right now, trying to get away from him, and yet Jesus' patience is just waiting for you to turn around. Church, our God specializes in redeeming what the world has says is irredeemable. Our God specializes in giving hope to hopeless situations, giving future to the futureless. And Saul's story reminds us that if there was hope for Saul, there is hope for you. If there is hope for a guy like Saul, today there is hope for you. And in the Bible, this is not just this one-off story. The Bible is full of stories like Saul. And one of my favorite ones that I think just breathes so much hope to all of us is a story of a man who didn't do anything good in his life and Jesus still saw him. And we see that story at the very place where Jesus was paying for our sins. You see, when Jesus hung on the cross, wearing our shame and our guilt, paying the penalty we couldn't pay, wearing the wrath of God's punishment for our sins, he didn't do it in isolation. There were two men next to him, two criminals dying for what, getting what they deserved. And one of the men rebuked Jesus, made fun of Jesus, but the other said, this is truly the son of God. And I want you to think about that man for a second. We don't know a lot about his story, but we, we can make some assumptions based off of where his life has taken him. That this was not a good man. 
This was a man who probably all of his life made bad decision after bad decision. He was probably a crook, a thief, maybe even a murderer. The very reason we know this is because he's dying on a cross for crimes he actually did. He's getting what he deserved. And look what he says to Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He didn't deserve heaven. He wasn't worthy of heaven. He wasn't good enough, religious enough. And yet Jesus says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And if there's hope for a guy like that, and there's hope for a guy like Saul, there is hope for you today. And let's not miss the bigger picture of this story. Let's not miss the bigger ripple effect of, 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 of God, Jesus, reaching Saul. Because here's what you have to understand. When Jesus was pursuing Saul, he was pursuing you. Think about how amazing this is. Thousands of years later, thousands of years later, after this story took place, we're reading it. We're reading the story of how Jesus changed Saul. Why? So maybe he could change you. Think about all the words that Saul, we know him as Paul, wrote in the New Testament. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Think of all his words that would change people's lives for the sake of the gospel. Think about how many times he preached the gospel and, and people came to know Jesus because while Jesus was pursuing after Saul, he was pursuing you. So he has this conversation with Jesus. He's interrupted on his way to hurt Christians. Story continues. It says, now get up and go into the city. And be, you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he, couldn't, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And I always, I always think this part of the story is kind of like, I, I just never really like grasped it. Like, I don't understand. Saul has an interruption from Jesus. He has a conversation with our Savior, and the only thing that changes in his life is he can't see anymore. On the way to Damascus, Saul could see perfectly, but after he talks with Jesus, he is blind. Why? I believe Jesus is using something physical in Saul's life to point to something spiritual. I believe Jesus is making a point to Saul, this religious leader, this, this guy who had religion down. He says, hey, you, you, you know what to do, but your heart is still blind. You can't see clearly, Saul, the truth of what you're missing, and so therefore I'll make you blind. And I actually believe that, that Saul's blindness is a warning for all of us. Because let's pause and let's think about this guy, his life. He is a religious leader, a Pharisee. Let me translate that for you to today. You know what people would call Saul? Pastor. He taught God's word to people. He knew it inside and out. He actually lived and obeyed the Old Testament law. And yet, he still missed Jesus. He still missed the most important thing. And how many of us live that exact same way? Where we bank on our religion, 
We bank on, on the goodness that we provide to tip the scale in our life and in our favor. So hoping that one day Jesus would see our goodness and let us in. Paul was religious and yet so many of us are religious and yet in our religion we miss out on the most important piece, a relationship with Jesus. And I believe his blindness is a warning to us that your religion will never get you what you want. That your religious activity will never muster up the amount of strength it needs to overcome your sin. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the story continues. This is in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I love this part. Lord, Ananias answered, uh, I've kind of heard about this guy. I've heard the many reports about this man and the harm he's done to your people. And he's come here with the authority of the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. And again, here's another part of this story that I, I just like, what, why? Why is Ananias even involved in the story? Think about this. Paul had an interaction, a, a conversation with Jesus. Isn't that enough to change him? Like, shouldn't that be the, the thing that like, okay, yeah, Saul, Saul is saved. He met Jesus and now he's preaching the gospel. No. After his conversation with Jesus, the only thing that changes is he's blind. And then comes Ananias. Why in the world is Ananias even involved in the story of, 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 of Saul? Like Jesus had it. He had it covered. But for some reason, Jesus chooses to use Ananias. And I think that, that that truth is for all of us as God's children, because here's what I think God is telling us, that he uses his children to help people see the truth of the gospel. That God, how amazing is this, that God gives us the privilege to help people see the greatest message in all of history of his cross and his resurrection. The Ananias is in this story to remind you and I that we carry a commission to go to the world, to the darkest places and bring the light with us. And listen, this wasn't an easy ask for Ananias. Hey, I want you to go to Saul. I, I guarantee you Ananias is like, you've got to have the wrong Saul, God. Do you know what this guy has been doing? doing to us I want you to imagine Tuesday morning you wake up in a dream and God says your name and he says hey I want you to go to the leader of Hamas because I'm going to use him for my name how good would you feel about that mission how excited would you be thank you Lord for speaking to me no you'd be like no way God you're crazy that's how Ananias felt. 
And honestly, church, I think Christians have gotten so comfortable that we're saved. We've been rescued by Jesus and it feels really good, but we've forgotten that sometimes God wants to put us in dangerous situations so that we can preach the message of Jesus to change people like Saul. We've gotten way too comfortable. It's time to be a little dangerous, a little bold and courageous. Ananias didn't want to go. Do you know who this guy is? But look what happens. It says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. Honestly, that should be enough for us. We're waiting on God to explain everything. Answer all of our questions. Is this going to be worth it, God? No, just, just go. Just go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And look what happens. It says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell off Saul's eyes and he could see again got up and he was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength the moment Ananias showed up and prayed over Saul what happens the scales fall off his eyes and I believe in Saul's life this was the moment he was rescued from his sin where he saw things and Jesus clearly because of the faith of Ananias and so Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit and what does he do next he gets baptized you see, some of you today, you are following Jesus and you still haven't taken the next step of baptism. Well, I got great news. We're having an open baptism in February, Super Bowl Sunday. Before we celebrate any game, we're gonna celebrate life change in the life of our church. We're gonna see many people go public for the name of Jesus. And so as we, we study Saul's story, his baptism story, at some level, we have to process this. We have to wrestle with it. And so I wanna ask you two questions today. Two questions that I've been wrestling with myself. The first one is for us as God's children, Christians, followers of Christ. How is God using you to help people see him? Maybe a better question is, is God using you? Is God using you at your workplace? in your home, in your college, in your school, wherever he's taking you, is he using you to point people to him? One of the reasons why you were, your eyes were open to the gospel was so that you could show other people the truth, that your story and what God has done in it, you could proclaim to them. We carry the great commission where Jesus said to his followers, go, that should be enough. Go into the world and make disciples. So are you praying every day that God would give you that opportunity? When you wake up in the morning, you say, God, I wanna be used by you today. So bring people who are far from God into my life so I can build relationships with them, not to push them, not to force them, but to show them how good you really are so that they would see you and embrace your cross and your resurrection. Is God 
using you? Are you an Ananias in somebody's story? The second question I would ask you is, are you still blind to the truth of Jesus? So I just really believe this. There are some people listening today and you still have those scales over your eyes. You've heard the gospel. You know it, you could repeat it. Jesus died in my place for my sin, rose again. You know the story, but yet you still don't see it clearly. And maybe there's one of two reasons. Maybe you're like Saul and and you're just hoping that your religion will save you. That you being a good person, showing up to church, serving the church, helping the homeless will be enough for God to look at you and be like, I want them. Listen to me, church. Your religion will never be enough. Your good deeds will never be enough. It is only through a relationship with Jesus who died in your place, carried your sin, and won the victory through his resurrection. And so you gotta stop living in in religion and start walking in a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and what's blinding you is just your life, your past. You love the hope the gospel brings, but you still don't believe it's for you because you don't feel worthy of it. You don't feel like you deserve it. You look at your life and you're like, there's no way God would do that for me. Look at what I've done. Look at the pain I've brought. Look at the choices I've made. There's no way I could earn it. I'm worthy of it. I deserve it. And if you feel that way, welcome to the club. Because not one of us earned Jesus's love. But yet, despite us being unworthy of it, he gives it to us freely. And all you have to do is run to him. He died for your guilt and your shame. He died to overcome your religion. And all you have to do, you don't need a pastor's magical prayer to rescue you. All you gotta do is say, God, God, remember me. God, I believe in in your cross and your resurrection. I need your forgiveness. Will you lead my life? And listen, it doesn't matter what words you use because I don't think God is actually listening to your words. I think he's staring right at your heart. He's looking at your heart and seeing the posture it's in. Are you blind? Maybe today is the day you finally see. So as we approach the holiday of Thanksgiving, I thought it'd be wise for us as a church to to really ultimately know what we should be thankful for. So we're gonna share communion together. Our band's gonna come and and they're gonna sing a song and I'd encourage you during the song to remain seated, to listen to the words. And during this song to really just reflect on how much we have to be thankful for just at the cross of Jesus. And those elements that you were given, they represent something that that, that tiny, let's be honest, nasty cracker. (laughs) It represents Jesus' body that was broken. The fermented juice, I'm not sure if it's wine or juice anymore, represents Jesus' blood that was shed, that Jesus gave up everything, everything, so that you could walk in a relationship with him. 